You're listening to the Ministry Grow Show, brought to you by Reliant Creative, the creative agency for gospel-centered ministries. Find out more at ReliantCreative.org. Welcome to the Ministry Grow Show, a podcast dedicated to helping churches and ministries grow and make more effective impacts for the kingdom of God in an ever-changing digital world. Whether you're building and growing a gospel-centered ministry or leading a church, if you want insight into the strategies, struggles, challenges, and successes of other ministry leaders, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Brian Dowd. He's the co-managing partner of the Sacramento chapter of the Barnabas Group. Brian, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, Zach. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the Barnabas Group and uh, and how you guys got started working in the ministry space and give us a little background behind all of that. Sure. The original chapter of the Barnabas Group goes back probably 21 years uh, at this point in Orange County. And so I was just a uh, you know young guy who walked into it as a uh, as a guest uh, back in the early days, about 20 years ago. And it was this room filled with people who I could tell had been successful in business and had huge hearts for ministry. And the whole point of the Barnabas Group is business people helping ministries solve the business problems of ministry. I had had a previous experience working in a, a church, you know, and so I had some, you know, I knew some things about ministry and certainly had a heart for that myself, but it was this room of people who I really respected and wanted to emulate and be with and, you know, participate in uh, helping these ministries too. So it was a great place for me to be. So that was 20 years ago. Um, fast forward to two years ago when we got the opportunity to start the chapter, a chapter here in Sacramento. Uh, and um, and we did it. So our two-year anniversary uh, is coming up next quarter um, and looking forward to that. Um, so anyways, that, that's how uh, I, yeah, that's how I got involved, Zach. <laughs> and so are, are you guys focusing on the church space or the parachurch space or both? How do, how do you differentiate in there in that space? Yeah. So maybe um, let me kind of back up a little bit and describe the Barnabas group, you know, kind of what it is in a sense to answer that a little bit better. So Perfect. the Barnabas group is a little bit like the television show Shark Tank with two twists. In the TV show Shark Tank, you have entrepreneurs coming to these wealthy investors, you know, famous, you know, ultra successful investors. And they say, you know, here's where we're at. We need your money to get to the next level and we'll give you some equity. You know, we'll give you stock. You know what? We'll give you ownership as an investor Mm -hmm. to to help us do that. So that's what the TV show is. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fun and exciting to watch the show and there's some drama involved and all that. But the really savvy entrepreneurs who come onto the TV show Shark Tank some of them actually don't even need money. They'll ask for the money, but the real thing they want is one of the sharks to help them out. It's the relationship. And so they want someone like Mark Cuban to be an advisor or to make some introductions or to give them a shout out on social media. And that's what's going to be the breakthrough for them. Every entrepreneur on the TV show needs capital, needs funding, just like every ministry does, right? But what they really, what the big breakthrough is, is on the relationship. So the Barnabas Mm -hmm. group kind of takes that model and applies it to ministries. So twist number one is we don't work with entrepreneurs. We work with ministries. Twist number two, ministries cannot ask for money. All that we have to offer is the relationship. 
And so we talk about that relationship in terms of time, talent, and touch, touch being your network. And so a ministry will come to the Barnabas group and say, we've got this big question. If we knew the answer to this, it would be a breakthrough for us. And then the Barnabas group is made up of, you know, people from the business community who have a heart for the kingdom who say, hey, I can help with that. And so, for example, there might be a ministry that's located in you know one specific spot and they've been successful and they're effective and they're established. And they say, but we want to open up a second spot at another in another part of, ta- in, of the county, you know, a couple of towns over. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to find the right piece of property. We don't know how to get it zoned properly with the city. We don't know how to you know, begin a project like that. We are really good with our recovery ministry or our homeless ministry or whatever the ministry might be, but we don't know how to get a, you know, how to get a second location. And so in our, you know, network of Barnabas partners, you know, we'll often either have someone or people who have that experience from their own business, or they know someone who does. And so we're able to bring that experience and expertise to bear to help think through, you know, those challenges that the ministries are facing. So you asked a moment ago, Zach, you know, who do we focus on, you know, churches or ministries, the ministries that we find we're best able to serve, they're parachurch organizations, they're, you know, independent nonprofit ministries. We work exclusively with executive directors or CEOs. Usually those ministries are, um, you know, $5 million, uh, you have a $5 million budget or less. If you're bigger than that, you know, the world visions or the compassions, you know, they have their own internal resources or they have the means to get external resources to do those. Right. But if you're about, you know, $5 million or less or, or even a little bigger, but if they don't have those kinds of resources, that's where the Barnabas group, you know, can step in and offer those things. And we kind of see ourselves as pro bono consultants of sort, um, of sorts, um, you know, helping it. And, and ultimately what we want to do from my standpoint in the Barnabas group uh, is help business leaders engage with the work of God on the front lines in ways that they wouldn't otherwise get to, because that's where they get to experience God. They get to grow in their walk with God. So many of our partners, you know, they don't need another sermon or retreat or educational, you know, Christian education experience, but man, when they're able to, you know, get exposed to what God's doing out on the front lines, whether it's local or around the world, that's where they see God in a new way. That's when they're able to grow. That's where they experience the joy of kingdom engagement. And that's really what we're trying to um, facilitate right there. Mm-hmm. So, th- so these, these partners, these entrepreneurs that are a part of the Barnes group offering up their guidance to the ministries that come in for help, um, they aren't necessarily offering up consulting for these ministries, but relationship opportunities and, and like connecting to people that do know the answers to the questions, or are they offering consulting as well in this process? Yeah, so they wouldn't describe. So our partners would not describe themselves as consultants. I would describe okay. that as kind of the function that they perform. But you know, they're you know like a CPA or you know a, a commercial realtor or you know someone who's running an engineering firm. I mean, they have day jobs doing the work of their business or whatever their profession might be. They they don't describe themselves as consultants. They're you know they're busy doing their profession, their right. work, their business. And then what? And then what the Barnabas Group is creates the the process, the mechanism for that. And so, as I described, you know, a ministry will identify a big question. Hey, if we knew the answer to this, it'd be a breakthrough. They present their ministry and that big question to an audience, and we we'll usually have about fifty people uh, in a room uh, to to respond to that. And so they'll say, "Here's our big question." By the way, we'll have two ministries do that, present to our audience of fifty. After 
the two ministries present what they're doing, uh, they'll kind of go off into a different corner of the room. And so our audience says, hey, I want to go learn more about what you're doing with orphans, or I want to go learn more about what this ministry is doing with um, urban evangelism. Okay. Like, you know, depending on what the ministry is, what the interest is. Then there's some kind of, you know, conversations some clarifying questions and so forth. And then after that, the Barnabas partners are given the opportunity to have a follow-up meeting. We call it an ideation session. Uh, okay. Two weeks later, there will be a two-hour, you know, uh, problem-solving meeting um, that happens, trying to solve the problem. And so our Barnabas partners will give ideas. They'll ideate, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. with possible solutions. And a lot of the ideas are like terrible <laughs> and <laughs> the ideas are good and worth keeping. And so, you know, the executive director gets to say, Hey, I, I like what I'm hearing or not, but here's, here's one idea I'm going to run with. Uh, I'm going to try to do something with this. And then, uh, and then we'll actually schedule a follow-up meeting after that six weeks later um, to say, you know, Hey, we want to be a sounding board. How did it go? You know, can we help further? So that's the mechanism, the presentation of the big question, the ideation of a you know small self-selected group to you know try to problem solve, and then a follow-up meeting after that. That's the mechanism of how it works. But again, from my standpoint, what we want to see is our Barnabas partners who don't normally you know get to see you know the frontline work of God in the ways that ministry leaders do and ministries themselves uh-huh. to actually form relationships that go well beyond you know that you know that process that happens in the Barnabas group, and so maybe. They become a board member. Maybe they, you know, help in an ongoing way. Maybe they just become friends. Um, and that, you know, relationship, it all comes down to relationship. And for our business, you know, the, the business leaders in our community, they want to be able to offer their gifts, skills, experience, you know, what they have. And usually that's kind of executive level thinking. There's not that many ministry leaders who are, you know, I mean, nobody is. Nobody is ready to kind of open the kimono and say, hey, take a you know, deep look at our strengths, weaknesses and warts. That's that's not easy to come by, but the Barnabas Group kind of has a um, you know a, a, a credibility factor that that helps accelerate relationship forming in that way to allow executive leaders uh, of ministry and business to come together in a way that's you know much faster than would otherwise happen through the normal you know invitation to volunteer, invitation to donate. You know that that's kind of the starting point for most ministries, and it takes a while to you know, be able to have more, um, strategic decision, uh, you know, decisions with consequence kinds of conversations. And so the right. group is able to get there you know, a lot faster, which, you know, serves everyone much, much better. So how often do you guys see ministries, um, coming in or, or your partners see like, Hey, this ministry is asking the wrong question. Like do, it is that interaction. Do you guys find that that, that is a long enough interaction to, to be able to determine whether or not the ministry is even asking the wrong question in that presentation? Yeah. So the part that I didn't describe a moment ago is all the, uh, you know, work that goes in before the presentation. And so there's a, a vetting process, uh, prior to selecting a ministry, then there's, uh, you know, there's a pretty good application that includes a SWOT analysis, um, trying to identify priorities, trying to, you know, surface what the right big question is. And, um, and we've got a team of, you know, our, you know, Barnabas partners who go through that and that work right there, actually, the preparation is really valuable, you know, helping a ministry, helping any organization, but helping a ministry through a SWOT analysis, identify their most pressing issue, 
Um, how do you get clarity on what that is? Because the right question makes all the difference in the world, but the kind of mm-hmm. answer or solution you're going to come. So yeah, we put quite a bit of effort into getting that right question before the question is asked to the larger audience. Okay. So you guys are helping guide that process before they ever even come to the group with a question. That's right. Awesome. Um, have you guys always functioned under the, this current model and, and strategy or, or has that been like a progression as you guys have grown as an organization yourself? Yeah, it's been a progression. Um, you know, we're still uh, innovating and, and doing new and different things. Uh, the process that, you know, I've been describing here is, you know, our, our uh, <laughs> latest, uh, latest version uh, of, of what we do. Um, yeah, we used to just have ministries come and describe what they do and ask for help. And that, you know, some people would respond to that and a lot of people wouldn't. And then, you know, we're saying, how do we get more people further engaged, more deeply engaged to add more Mm -hmm. value? And so that led to, you know, follow up opportunities. And then that led to sharpening of what happens in those follow up opportunities and, you know, so on and so forth. So, yeah, it's a um, uh, an ongoing effort. And we want to you know add as much value as possible to the ministries and to, um, you know, our Barnabas partners. Yeah. So as you guys have grown, what are um, and and maybe shifted in those strategies and and progressed in that model? What are some of the challenges that you've that you've run into, um, having maybe specifically business people advise and not consult? I don't want to use that word because that's not necessarily what you guys do, but like advise in the nonprofit space. Are there some the barriers or challenges that you find in that? You know, I mean, there is, um, nonprofit dynamics are different from, uh, for-profit business dynamics, fundraising, um, you know, you you know, fundraising is important. Uh, It's essential for a ministry Mm -hmm. and, you know, you could use the language of marketing, um, to do that, which is, you know, that's accurate, but you know, the, the term marketing means something different to a ministry than it does to a business, um, sales is a word that has a lot of relevance in business. And, you know, you wouldn't talk about that in terms of uh, ministry. I mean, you know, you talk about fundraising, you talk about donor development, you talk about those kinds of things. Um, You know, and so there's, there are kind of translations that happen. For instance, businesses use the word profitability. Ministries use the word sustainability. In my view, you know, it's just (laughs) same, same intent, Um, you know, but, but you kind of got to know some of the nuances uh, along those lines. Um, But for the most part, um, you know, we're, we do an okay job of, of bridging that gap. The biggest challenges that, you know, that we encounter in the Barnabas group trying to help ministries are no different from what happens in business either. And, and it's, you know, the difference between working in the business and working on the business or mm-hmm. working in the ministry or working on the ministry. You know, if you've got an executive director who's spending all their time just making sure that the ministry is being done. You know, that's very different than working on how do you expand the capacity of the ministry or how do you make sure your people are being developed and cared for or how do you make sure that your donors are being cared for as well. That's working on the ministry. And that's always hard to come by. It doesn't matter what your project is. I mean, whether you're a parent, you know, making sure your kids are working in the family or working on the family, you know, what are the things we need to get our kids to be thinking about differently than just getting them to school, uh, getting their shoes tied, getting them meals and getting them fed. You know, in yeah. the business versus on the business is, a, is always a challenge. And um, every ministry, just like every business, is uh, strained, um, you know, in every way. 
And so getting that space to think more deeply, to have conversations that are outside of the, you know, what's, what's required to do by the end of the day today, that that's always a challenge. Um, and we see that repeatedly, but like I said, that's no different from, you know, a business environment. Yeah, man, that, that, that kind of sparks a, a, a idea or a thought in my mind. I, I just watched a Ted talk. Uh, by a guy named Dan Pelota. He was talking about the way we do charity is the title of the Ted talk is the way we do charity is dead wrong. And he was talking about how across the sector, we cannot get, we can't seem to get beyond the 2% giving mark. um, And that's globally. And, and this mindset that we have in the ministry space um, and the mindset that we have coming from donors, the expectation that there's no money spent on overhead, there's no money spent on marketing. Uh, we're not going to pay our people well because we want because of like frugality, because uh, this is ministry and it's different than the business world. And his argument is like, what if we thought about ministry and what thought about the nonprofit sector in the way we think about the for-profit sector, and that we're pursuing innovation and research and development and spending money on new ideas, even though they may fail. And what if we were to pay our people well, like we play them well in the for-profit sector and what that could ha- what could happen if we started treating the, the nonprofit sector like the for-profit sector. And so uh, I, I like that you guys have this, this mindset of bringing business-minded entrepreneurial people um, who have those type of mentalities and and mindsets with their businesses and applying their how they think about innovation and growth and scalability to the nonprofit space. I think that that is so important. And there could be some really significant growth in the ministry sector if we stopped worrying about not spending on overhead. Like the fact that there's this marketing model that a hundred percent of your funds go to the field and we've got some billionaire that's providing for our overhead. Like most ministries don't have that. And so that, that marketing model, although it's a great model and it works really well, uh, kind of it, I think, (laughs) yeah, if you've got it, I think it hurts the ministry space. I think it, I think it does more damage across the nonprofit sector as a whole and and only serves to help those few that do have something like that, a situation like that. So um, I love what you guys are doing, trying to trying to shift the mindset and how we think about the nonprofit sector, and um, and be okay spending on overhead and spending on innovation and spending on research and development, and spending uh, not just money but like time and thought and like brain power on what are some things that we could do differently to allow our, our ministries, our nonprofits to be more successful, um, to be more effective. Cause at the end of the day, you could, what his argument in this Ted talk is, is like, yeah, well, you can be frugal and you can make a hundred bucks. You could, you could be really few frugal in your fundraising event and make a hundred bucks, or you could spend, a ton of money on marketing and make 10 X on your profit for that, for that same event. And nobody's going to be mad if you come away with 10 X 
profits, but to get there, you had to spend on overhead. You had to spend on marketing. Um, like that, just the logic behind that, it makes sense, but the nonprofit sector doesn't function in that way. It's, it's just this really weird, uh, kind of interesting, kind of sad scenario that we we're functioning in. And how do we, how do we move outside of that and away from that model? And I think that you guys are doing some really cool stuff to, to shift that mindset. Yeah, Zach, you're hitting on something that I get kind of passionate about. I mean, it, the role of an executive director or anyone in ministry is a steward. Stewardship is what it's about. And, yeah. and if you're talking about stewardship, you go to the parable of the talents. You know what Jesus talks about in the parable of the talents? Return on investment. He gave you something and he wants more value out of it than what he gave you. That's, that's the parable of the mm-hmm. talents right there. Stewardship with return on investment. So everything you just said, Zach, you know, plays into that. And that's not the way that the donor community or even most of the you know ministry community thinks. ROI. If you want return on investment, yeah, research and development is really important. Yeah, uh, innovation is really important. You know, and you think differently about what you're given, the resources you have. What's you know, here, here's a hundred bucks that you know we were just given. What, how are you going to get the most value out of this hundred bucks? Actually putting it all towards production, you know, whatever the program is of the ministry, right. I, that's, that's, that gets a hundred dollars worth of value. But if you're going to say, Hey, I want $150 worth of value. How do I do that? Probably an alliance with someone else, probably a way to multiply it somehow. And so it does open up a different kind of thinking. So in my experience, you know, the, the larger donor community, the larger nonprofit community, the larger church community, you know, it doesn't think in those stewardship return on investments, parable of the talents way, but the business community does. Yeah. And so the business community very much wants to invest in leaders because if a leader, is, let's say a leader in, you know, improves their performance somehow by, you know, let's just say 10%, actually that has a massive downstream effect for everybody that's being led, like on staff. And then everybody that that staff touches, that's a big ROI. But you know who's least likely to invest in themselves? It's those executive directors. It's really hard for them to say, I'm going to, you know, uh, go on vacation (laughs) or I'm going to go on a, you know, personal retreat or some sort of training or development thing, you know, where I could learn how to be a better leader. You know, that, that's a mindset that is, is prevalent and, and, you know, and I'm kind of overstating it to make a point. Um, but there, there's something to that. And, you know, business leaders are very much into return on investment. Every decision, you know, any business leader, and this is true for a lot of ministries too, you know, it's like, hey, am I going to, you know, where's the ROI in this decision, whether it's time or money or relationship, you know, ROI, such an important piece here. And uh, yeah, I mean, I go, I bang the the parable of the talents drum over and over again. Um, Jesus cares about ROI. That's, that's the point right there. Hmm. Yeah, and and so that I think that segues into our, my next question pretty well. We've talked about the challenges that we run into in this in the nonprofit space, and the barriers that that exist, that mindset sh- shift that needs to take place. Uh, what are some of the opportunities that you guys have seen that have come out of business people and entrepreneurs advising and working with the nonprofit sector and and offering their guidance and help and maybe i mean we've touched on it a little bit but maybe share some of the stories that of of how that has impacted and been effective in helping ministries and nonprofits grow um 
and and be more effective in what they do? Yeah, let me answer that with a story that's been really inspiring to me, but not from the Barnabas group that I think is relevant and, you know, is, you know, helpful. Um, You know, hopefully people get inspired by this the way I have been. Um, Okay, going back in time, it was uh, the year 2000 and Amsterdam 2000 occurred. Basically, Billy Graham, uh, the Billy Graham Association got together all of the leading mission agencies uh, of the world. And at Amsterdam 2000, um, Bruce Wilkinson was the MC, And one of the things that they did is they said, hey, we've got all these unreached people groups. And, and they had a list of them. And, and I, I'm not sure if it was the first time in history a list like that was presented, but you know, it, it was never meaningfully engaged the way it was here. Hey, here's a list. And there was something like you know, 300, 350 un, unengaged, unreached people groups at that time. You know, and it was something like population minimum to make the list and so forth. There's more than that. But, but at right. the time, that's what they were looking at. And so um, Bruce Wilkinson basically kind of has an altar call for all of these ministry leaders um, saying, you know, hey, if, if we're not even targeting all these groups, we're not doing our job, um, you know, let's, let's, pray, let's pray and then come and commit to go after uh, these groups. You know, each organization here, you know, what's your part in that? You know, one group, two group, what, what, what group is that going to be, et cetera. So anyways, um, you know, this pretty dramatic altar call and, you know, everyone's excited and people kind of, you know, uh, committing to different groups. Well, they got halfway through the list of people groups and then, you know, pretty much everybody was spent. Uh, half the list was remaining. Well, there is one table and it's kind of famous and it was table number 71. Imagine this huge hall and all these tables and they're numbered. And it was YWAM and crew that were left there, uh, you know, at this one table and they lean over and whisper to one another, what if together we take the rest? And this murmur started happening at the table and all these people, you know, started gathering. They're, they're thinking about what would it mean to take on between two organizations, 150 unengaged, unreached people groups? What if we did that? Well, they did. They, they made that uh, assertion. We're going to do that. And it was kind of like this, you know, JFK go to the moon experience, right? You know, uh, President Kennedy said, we're going, we're going to put somebody on the moon. We've never even put a human being into orbit. And we're going to do it within the next 10 years. I mean, it, it had never been done. And by the way, when that happened, you know, the leader of NASA came back to the president and said, we can't do that. The president's response was, okay, I'm going to start looking for someone who tells me we can. The NASA leader, you know, changed his tune and said, okay, <laughs> I'll get serious about it. Yeah, and it worked, <laughs> right? We got to the moon. So, so coming out of this, table 71 says, all right, you know, we have to think totally differently than anything we've ever done um, on a different scale. If we're going to do this, what needs to happen? So one of the first things they did was they went to the National Christian Foundation, you know, that, uh, you know, is, is the vehicle for so many Christian donors, uh, philanthropic giving. And so they went to NCF and said, hey, we're going to need a lot of money for this. And the reply from NCF was, you need more than money. You need access to the thinking of the people who have the money. That's why they have the money. You need the... Um, business resources, the business thinking, you need the way uh, of, you know, thinking about process and product and outcomes for, you know, that you're going to find um, attached to our donors. So you don't just need the money that the business community has, you need the uh, thinking, the relationships. Wow. Okay. That was kind of a breakthrough thought. And then what came out of that was something called the Issachar Initiative, where the, uh, a bunch of business leaders did get behind this. 
And they said, okay, we're going to create the Issachar initiative. And what that is, it's, it's a, uh, an organization with the intention of providing accurate information to the church uh, with the latest information. We're going to gather research and give accurate information on the state of fulfilling the Great Commission, you know, getting to, you know, uh, all unengaged, unreached people groups. So I got to go to the very first Issachar Summit. Um, I forget how long ago, maybe 10 years ago. And uh, all these business leaders were there hearing from, you know, the leaders of um, the, you know, the global Great Commission community uh, talking about accurate information, where we're at, what it's going to take. And that day, um, all these business leaders are hearing that and, um, you know, men, women, but primarily from business, uh, you know, and there was a call out for funding for it and $2 billion got pledged uh, at that first Issachar summit um, because of the way that uh, there was this, you know, ambitious God led, you know, claim um, by table 71 to say, we're going to go after it. The ISCAR initiative came and business people saying, okay, we have to get the right accurate information to the right people who could make the biggest difference. Uh, and mm. then $2 billion got pledged. And that was over like 10 years. I'm not sure how much of that 2 billion uh, has been released or not. Um, but nonetheless, it was pretty mind blowing at the time. Um, but anyways, the idea that, you know, coming to the NCF, asking for money and being told what you really need is this way of thinking to get there. Um, and then it resulted in, you know, uh, a snowball effect um, that's been really great. And, you know, at this point, uh, I don't think the Issachar Initiative uh, is standing alone. It's kind of been folded into finishing the task, um, you know, a different, you know, a different group. Um, uh-huh. but, you know, basically that's how that's being done. And, you know, man, great, great work is being done, you know, bringing the Great Commission to Fulfillment as we speak. And that was one of the um, things going way back to Amsterdam 2000. Do you think the the movement in the nonprofit sector towards uh, partnership kind of got spurred out of that conversation as well? Like, yeah, like ministry to ministry partnership. Absolutely. That I mean, I, I think that's happening in lots of places. I think that's part of our world. You know, our world is flattening, and so there's a lot more opportunities to partner and to ally and everything. But I, in my view, I'm not not that I'm an expert on this stuff, but that was that was an opportunity where there's this God-led moment to say, let's do something so much bigger than anything we've ever done before. And if that's going to happen, we have to think utterly differently than anything we've done before. And that's going to you know, require partnership like that, um, yeah. you know, alliance like that. And so, yeah, I think that was a, uh, you know, one of the important points in the movement of, you know, what's a growing sense towards, um, you know, alliances and collaboration and so forth that I think is so positive. Mm, that's really cool. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned offline that, that one of the benefits of the Barnabas group is that, that business people get to see God at work. They get insights into what God is doing um, in the ministries that are presenting in, in your groups. And so uh, can you share some of the unexpected benefits of that? Um, We've touched on this a little bit, but I want to I hear some more on what the benefits are of of, min, of entrepreneurs getting to see and have insight into what God is doing through their, these organizations uh, when there's not some type of financial ask involved. Like it, it's there's it's, it goes beyond that. Yeah. So, what are some of the unexpected benefits? Joy, joy is one of the unexpected benefits that our partners experience when they get to do that. 
So a number of years ago, there was a ministry. It's called Today's Youth Matters. They're based in you know the, the Bay Area. Um, you know, working working with kind of you know urban kids who don't get beyond the sidewalks and high rises of their neighborhood um, to do that. And so we're here in California. Uh, and so this was in the Bay area and what today's youth matters kind of like the hallmark of what they did was they would take kids to camp in the mountains, you know, a couple hours away. And that Mm -hmm. camp was, you know, just an incredible experience for people who'd never even, you know, seen rivers before for kids who got to do that. Today's youth matters came to the Barnabas group saying we've been leasing uh, a camp each summer for a couple weeks a year. We think we want to buy a, a property where we could have our own camp. That would really allow us to do so much more. Uh, can you help us do that? H- help us, you know, think that through. There was actually a, a Boy Scout camp that was for sale. The Boy Scouts were letting it go, and so they wanted help from the Barnabas group to think through. You know, is this a good deal, and, and how might that work? Turns out, it wasn't a, a good deal. That didn't happen. Um, but that's not the story I'm trying to tell here. Uh, instead, <laughs> there was an accountant. Um, or, or like a CFO um, who was part of that process. And he had a sailboat, you know, just a little sailboat. And uh, he would take it out on the San Francisco Bay, you know, with his, with his family. Uh, but his kids were older. They'd been, you know, through college and were, you know, young adults now. And, and so the family getting on the sailboat didn't happen so much. But he took a handful of these kids from, you know, these uh, urban neighborhoods on his sailboat. And they loved it. They'd never been sailing before. You know, they just had a great, great time. But back to the question, you know, unexpected benefits. The unexpected benefits, this guy's name was Lee. The unexpected benefit was the gigantic grin on Lee's face as he's explaining what it was like taking these kids from the urban neighborhood onto his sailboat. And he just had a blast. I mean, it was just, it was just radiating, you know, you know, from his face, how much fun it was. And that's exactly, you know, what we want to see happen, right? You know, like the body of Christ is so diverse, you know, like, you know, whether you're talking about fingers and noses and hips and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But when you get different parts of the body of Christ together to see God at work, just good stuff happens. And, you know, you see God move forward and you see lives change, but man, God is doing so much more than any of us know. And it's not that easy to get exposed to what God's doing. That's actually something we take seriously. We want to expose more people through the Barnabas group to more of what God's doing. And it's still just, you know, we're still just scratching the surface. But nonetheless, I mean, when you see God uh, in the form of a smile of a kid who's never been on a sailboat before, and that just, you know, emits so much joy from within you. I mean, that's God at work. I mean, it's beautiful. Mm. Yeah, that, that entrepreneur got to see opportunity for him to, to take his skills and talents and the things that he's been gifted and, and invest them into whatever this ministry was doing. And that probably went into it thinking, Oh, I'm just going to help this ministry and came out. Oh, I was encouraged. I was filled up. I was like, I, I experienced the joy and the benefit of that experience more maybe than the kids did. Totally. I mean, isn't that so much the case with ministry, right? You know, God works in us as we're trying to facilitate God working in others. I mean, they go they go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, one of the topics that we discussed offline was, was the perils of insulated ministry. Can you walk us through what you mean by that? Yeah. Um, as humans, but I think even more as leaders, 
there's such a temptation to the illusion of omniscience. Like we know all we need to know Mm. and no one will admit to that. But so many of us act like that. We know all that we need to know. And you find the, you know, how that's just faulty at times of hardship. I mean, I think COVID, you know, the pandemic brought that out. You know, you need to think differently. You need to solve problems you didn't know before. The unexpected is there. And so new relationships, you know, we were all calling new people, asking for insights, asking for help, asking for guidance to do different things. So we know that that's faulty, but yet we still suffer the temptation of the illusion of omniscience. We know all we need to know. Um, But in minute, yeah, I mean, in ministry, you know, we just get, you know, we get in the grind and we're focused on what we need to focus on. uh, And that can be very limiting. So, um, yeah, so, so that's just limiting. And, and we're able to keep doing what we've always been doing, but that prevents us from being able to do something more, do something different, do something that God might be leading us to elsewhere. So larger organizations, Christian organizations, um, if they're big enough, uh, might have, you know, a director of strategic relationships. That's a position. That's a, a role that they have. Uh, or a different, you know, actually in, in uh, large businesses, you know, including Apple, They'll have a chief evangelist. Uh, That's kind of an interesting title, right? It's not evangelical um, in terms of the gospel, but it is, you know, in sharing the good news. And so the chief evangelist at Apple goes around, talks to outside uh, people, constituents, partners, the market, sharing good ideas and spreading good ideas. I mean, actually, you know, you mentioned Ted earlier, like that's the whole point of Ted, right? Um, Yeah. Good ideas. So if you could have an organization that has a chief evangelist who shares your good ideas, I mean, that's a really interesting concept. Now, you know, there may not be a chief evangelist role for the kinds of organizations, um, you know, that we interact with or that, you know, you interact with, Zach. But but the idea of getting outside of yourself is really important for new ideas, um, for new, new forms of help and so forth. One of the things, uh, you know, that I recommend is forming an advisory group. Uh, and so that's a, a group of people who believe in the ministry, are part of the ministry, probably have donated to the ministry. But you say, you know, hey, let's just make an advisory group. Let's meet, you know, two, three, maybe four times a year just to like hear the story. Here's what's going on right now. Is there any way you can help? And oftentimes people quickly go to their checkbooks and they help with that. But that's not the real point. I mean, that's a, actually that's a great benefit and, and worthwhile. But, but instead say, you know, is there anything you can do to help? And so, you know, it might be someone who says, oh, you're having trouble with, um, um, you know, some of the, the legal code of, of your neighborhood, whatever it might be, even something as simple as parking. And someone says, you know, I'm friends with the mayor. I'll ask him what he thinks, you know, might be a good solution here. And the kind of solutions that a mayor is going to come up with is radically different than talking to, you know, the um, uh, parking enforcement, right? <laughs> right. So, you know, so anyways, the idea of, of intentionally fostering a group that can expend, extend your reach and an advisory council is a really good way to do that. And, and there's no limit to the people you can count as an advisor. Everyone likes being, um, you know, given the, the recognition of being an advisor. There's no commitment. There's no anything. You're just like, hey, you're someone that I would like to know, to be better connected with, to have you understand what we're doing and to call on you to help when you can help. And it's not you know predetermined what that help looks like, but just, will you come get together in someone's living room? You know, it could be five, could be 25 people 
where we tell the story, share what our challenges are and let you speak into that and, and help where you can help. You know, that's a, that's a great way to uh, overcome that kind of uh, insulation. So that's a way of, you know, a ministry, you know, can do that. What we, the way we do that in a Barnabas group is we're trying to, you know, facilitate relationships with, you know, advisor like people um, in, in a similar way, you know, for us, but yeah, uh, we, we need all the help we can get and um, we can be under the illusion that, you know, we don't need it now. And that's just, you know, that's faulty. Uh, that gets pressed upon us at some points more than others. Yeah. And I, I think that also brings us back to this idea of, of partnership. Like what we continually run into with ministries is, is they're doing whatever cause that they've been called to or, or are focused on whatever niche vertical that may be in, in the ministry space or the nonprofit sector. And, um, any one of those verticals, whether it's, uh, water fighting human trafficking or your homelessness issue, you know, whatever it is, those singular focuses cannot solve the problem. The, the larger problem, like the, the larger call, the, the great commission call. And like if water goes in and, and does their work in the community, that's not going to solve, that's not going to solve the larger problem. And so, Yes, let's be good at what we're good at. Let's focus on what we're good at. But why not partner with an organization, another organization doing what they're good at? So water partnering with human trafficking in a region to solve both of those problems and start working towards the larger picture. Um, and and so I, I think this not functioning in a bubble or not being insulated as a ministry, just focusing on whatever thing it's in front of you or whatever niche folks have uh, is so important to the greater picture. Um, and because you, a, a single ministry isn't going to be able to solve the larger problems by themselves. And so like th- this idea of coming back to partnership and ministries working together in the parachurch space, working with the church to, solve these larger issues I, th- I think is so important and I, I, you see like crew and YWAM working together or um, crew and uh, like crew did something else with another organization there, there's there's been Bible translation ministries that work together rather than fighting for the same space and region and funds mm-hmm. um, you've, you've heard those stories um, and some of them are outlined in that book, Rooting for Rivals. But so, so I guess what I'm saying is, there's good things happening in the space of partnership and and ministries working together in the nonprofit space, nonprofit sector working together. Um, but we need to be moving in that direction a lot more. Uh, that's are you guys seeing that type of growth and that type of movement more regularly? as of recent, or is that still like, is there still hesitancy for the ministries that you run into? I think, I think there's great progress being made. I think there's still a lot of hesitancy and we're in the early stages of this. Um, in my, you know, very limited view of the church, you know, the body of Christ, um, the great commission community is doing a great job on that, really leading the way and doing a phenomenal job on that. Another example where I, I, you know, see this happening for the first time, maybe in the last three years, I'm not sure the date exactly, but 
there's an initiative to reach every college campus in America. Yeah. And for the first time, crew, like everybody's working on this intervarsity crew, mm-hmm. Chi Alpha, navigators, on and on. There's like, you know, over a dozen organizations working on this saying, you know, we're only in about half of the college campuses in America that have a um, verifiable campus ministry. You know, and especially when you look at community colleges. Um, you know, it, you're, there's only, they're only about half, but if they're going to do that and they're after it, in fact, that's the whole, uh, mission of, I mean, that's the calling of university right now, you know, by 2030 to be in every, on every campus, but that's only going to happen with this great Alliance. And so when you have these moonshots that you say, we can do it, but we need help. I mean, I think that's a, a beautiful and brilliant thing. One thing I would add to that, it's what I've found, and, and this is actually a, a really kind of special role Barnabas uh, can play, is it's not easy for one ministry to reach out to another ministry and say, hey, let's go after this thing together. Because there's a sense of, well, whose agenda is it? Because we have our own agenda and it may be different. It, it's not easy to, to do that. You need a lot of trust. You need to overcome some barriers uh-huh. um, you know, to, to do that kind of thing. But what... Uh, the Barnabas group is able to do is actually be kind of a, a neutral convener for that and say, Hey, you know, our agenda is to help you. Our agenda is the kingdom. You know, we're not, you know, we don't have a dog in this fight. So let's, let's bring some different groups together to look at something to be collaborative on. And so it's interesting, you know, just the, the importance of a, of a third party neutral convener. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so Barnabas gets to do that to a certain extent. We have a, a Christian college uh, in our area um, that does a good job of doing that too, bringing people together, you know, whether it's churches or ministries or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's been a real privilege that Barnabas group has been able to do on occasion for certain causes, you know, bringing groups together and providing that kind of, um, like backbone, you know, that, that the, that the meat, that the organs, that the lifeblood can flow on, but you kind of need a, uh, an external backbone skeletal system to say, let's meet here when, and by the way, um, you know, this is nice. Business, one of the things about the business community in terms of its you know, place in the body of Christ, the business community, it's not the only place that has money, but it, it often has more money. And so when the business community says, hey, we'll, we'll pay for, for uh, some time together and we'll meet at a place that we provide, you know, that, that makes a big difference too. Um, so anyway, yeah. that's, that's been a, a nice way you know, that Barnabas Group has been privileged to see some of this beautiful collaboration come together that you know god is so glorified through that's really cool well brian this has been awesome i've really appreciated this uh this conversation i'm hoping that this provides some value for other ministry leaders if uh if people want to get a hold of you and learn more about yourself or the barnabas group how how can they do so yeah barnabasgroup.org um, you can find that we've got a, you know, a number of chapters, uh, across the country. And so whether, you know, uh, you want to come, uh, engage with us in Sacramento or one of the other chapters elsewhere, um, they're all listed at barnabasgroup.org. Uh, me personally, uh, I didn't mention this. I make a living as an executive coach. Um, you know, and so that's my, uh, you know, that's what I do. <laughs> and so nextstepcoach.com uh, is, you know, how to get a hold of me directly for what I do, you know, leadership coaching, which by the way, includes ministry leaders uh, in that. But anyways, those are uh, two websites for uh, learning more. Awesome. Well, Brian, can I pray for you and the Barnes group real quick? Oh, that'd be great. Thanks, Zach. Yeah, of course. Father, I just lift up Brian uh, and the team over at the the Barnabas Group, specifically their chapter in Sacramento. I pray that you would just continue to do an amazing work 
um, in providing guidance and insight and direction and, and ideas and innovation for ministries um, and giving entrepreneurs and business owners and, um, and people like that uh, insights into what you're doing, uh, views into what you're doing globally. You're, you're doing some incredible stuff all over the world. Uh, and for us at Reliant, like that's our desires to see the church Oh, be made aware of what you are doing because you're doing such incredible things. And so I uh, thank you for the Barnes, the Barnabas group and Brian and his team, um, uh, just being willing to be a part of that and to, to give those insights and to help guide and lead the, the ministry space, the nonprofit sector, Father, um, for your glory. Lord, we love you so much. I thank you that you have invited us into this, um, this work, this redemption of humanity work that you could have done on your own, but you've invited us to be a part of it. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Brian, thanks for so much for being on the show, man. I appreciate it. Zach, you're welcome. And my thanks to you for, uh, for this and everything else you're doing. Great, great work. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at reliantcreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at reliantcreative.org. See you next time.